Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Hello and welcome back to Inside Out episode 24. Today's guest is Christy aka The Sleep Teacher. Christy is a mama of three and certified in child and infant sleep training. Having experienced firsthand how debilitating sleep deprivation is, Christy knows all too well that if you have the right tools in your toolbox, how easily this can be fixed. You and your baby don't have to suffer from fatigue and mums and dads shouldn't be dreading bedtime. Christy believes this is a calm and natural process, but just like toilet training and feeding themselves, sleep is a skill that needs to be taught. In this episode, Christy and I talk about my and my family's experience with my son, Jesse, who went from waking up to 20 times a night to sleeping from 6.30pm to 6am every single night since. Christy dives into environmental factors, sleep associations, sleep cycles, and loads more. In this conversation, you will notice my beautiful four-month-old girl, Lola, decided to wake up from her nap early, so I do apologize for some noises that you might hear in the background. Please make sure that you share to your Instagram story and tag at Inside Out with Chris and at The Sleep Teacher and let us know what you've taken away from this chat. I hope that you enjoy this very special conversation. Hey, Christy. Thank you so much for joining me today for a chat about all things sleep and babies. No, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So before we get started into all things sleep, I would love to know a little bit more about you and your work and what brought you to this career. Sure. So um, I am a mum myself. Um, So I had three little girls um, fairly close in age. So there's only three and a half years between the three of them. So um yeah, I guess sleep to me was always important, especially having three close in age. Um, but my first one was horrendous. And then obviously the second was coming really close um, in age of 17 months between them. And I was really worried that um, I just wasn't, you know, we got to like 11 months and she was still waking two hours overnight. And that just wasn't going to be sustainable with a newborn either. So um, yeah, so I sort of did a bit of research into what was contributing to it and um, how I could help her get, you know, more sleep. As a new mom, I just thought that she was doing what every baby does and um, that it was normal, but it might have been her normal, but it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it was all she knew. So uh, once I made changes to her sleep, I was honestly, I was a new woman and I was <laughs> shouting it and chasing down any mum I could to try and help them. And um, yeah, so then I actually, found out that I could study and become a child and infant sleep consultant. And, um, yeah, and once I did that, I did that when my youngest was five months of age. And, um, yeah, so I've been doing it ever since. So nearly three years now I've been, um, I've had the sleep teacher running and, um, yeah, and I just, I love it. I love because I've honestly, I've been there myself and that sleep deprivation, as you know, it is, it is horrible. And it's, I just found it really hard. Like I enjoyed motherhood, but, once I was getting sleep and my baby was well rested and just, you know, happy and 
we were in a nice routine. I, I actually loved it and, yeah, it just changed my life. Amazing. I just drawing on my experience and why we came to you in the first place. Um, Jesse would have been, I think, about 14 or 15 months old when we finally came to you, but we'd been in this state for about six months where we were co-sleeping with him um, and then I fell pregnant and we decided to transition him to a big boy bed, but he was waking anywhere from eight to 28 times a night. And we were and always just ending up putting him in our bed. Our main concern was him waking his sisters when they were here. Some When they weren't here, it was fine. We could persist. But when they were here, they were getting unwoken and unsettled. And then we were having to go in this, you know, triangle effect from his room to one room and then to another room and back to our bed. And I remember um, when I first found out that you exist for one and sleep consultancy is, was a thing. I was like, okay, she's going to fix it. I can get it fixed. It can work. And I was going through our emails actually yesterday um, between each other. And I got quite emotional because I was like reading what I was writing to you. And I just really remembered how depleted and sad I was. And I really thought that I had postpartum depression at that point because I was just shattered and exhausted. And I think that being in that state of mind and coming to you, we were just, we had nowhere to go. And it's such an incredible resource that we've been able to utilize. And I wish that this was almost programmed into postpartum lifestyles, like with birthing classes, you know, you've got birthing classes and midwives and things. And I just wish that this was a program or a pamphlet that was handed to me at the hospital before coming home, you know? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, like it is one of those things that, you know, nothing and no one can prepare you for sleep deprivation, but I think if you're armed with a little bit of insight into, you know, what you could potentially expect and, you know, or what you could implement early on, it definitely would make things a whole lot easier. It, it wasn't it wasn't available when I had Elkie, my eldest, she's eight. Um, and I think sleep consultancy was sort of only becoming quite a, a spoken about thing when when I had Hattie, my youngest. So, um yeah, I think it's it's a great thing for mums to be able to have that resource there. And, and there's a lot of, you know, free information available too. It doesn't have to necessarily be one-on-one, but there is there is support out there, which it's, you know, as you said, you, you feel depleted and you just, you, you, you're honestly just surviving. Yeah, I remember just sitting there thinking, I think I'd tapped the cot, like sat next to the cot and just done the pat, pat, pat thing for about... Mm. 90 minutes or something and I was just tears rolling down my face and I just thought maybe motherhood isn't for me maybe having kids was a mistake and I was like I can't believe I'm thinking this way is this really where I'm at um just digressing a little bit into some questions that I've got for you today I know that I thrive best when I have structure in place in my day-to-day how and why is it so important for babies or toddlers to have routine well I think you know as you said, it's important for you. As an adult, we thrive off it. So for a little child, like a baby, a toddler, it's often all they know. So they know that when they get up, for instance, it might be they come into mum's bed and they have cuddles and then they go downstairs and have breakfast or, you know, it, they can't, They just thrive off it. So if they have that consistency, not only is there going to be less chance of them fighting a nap, um, because it's predictable, they know what is happening. So a wind down routine and a nap routine is super important in terms of having you know less kickback come bedtime. But also, if your daytime routine is predictable, your nighttime is going to be more predictable too. Mm. If your child's napping four hours one day, then one the next, and forty minutes the next, it's got your nights are going to vary. So 
your days are consistent, your nights have got more chance of being consistent too. Like you're always going to have those off nights, but you've got more chance of being consistent if your day's got a consistent routine there in place. I was pretty shocked to learn about sleep cycles when you first um, informed me about them. And I know that a lot of friends with babies, it's quite a common consensus for mums that I've spoken to about this. Can you share what are sleep cycles and how do we determine, how do you work it out? So sleep cycles are when, so basically when a child falls asleep and then they'll, so they'll transition through light and deep phases of sleep. So REM and non-REM sleep cycles. Um, But for a, a little one, um, it's about 40 minutes of a day and then overnight around two hourly. So um, adults are around around that 90 minutes, but children are around two hours overnight. So what you'll see, if you were to watch your child asleep on a monitor of a day around that 40-minute mark, and this is where I guess a lot of parents see the catnapping with the 40 minutes um, during a day, is what happens, they'll fall asleep and around that 40-minute mark, if you were to watch them on the monitor, if they could self-settle and resettle, you would see their little eyes sort of flicker. They might let out a little grunt or they might, you know, just reposition themselves in the cot. That is a partial wake-up and that's where their sleep cycles ended and they've transitioned into another one and started another sleep cycle. So they've connected those sleep cycles. For a baby that cannot resettle, they will usually around that 35, 40-minute mark when they're coming out of deep sleep, stir and completely wake up. Yeah. So that's usually if they're reliant. Say, for instance, they've been always rocked to sleep they're rocked and then placed in the cot then naturally if that's the only way they know to fall asleep and they've woken up in a cot they've had that little um eye flicker and they've partially woken of course they're going to 100 percent wake up and go hang on a minute i'm in the cot before i was in mum's arms we're being rocked and now i'm here so i want to go back to sleep i'm going to call yeah. out for I can rock me and put me back to sleep. So that's where that sleep cycle sort of comes that in. was a big thing big one sorry for us because i was taking Jesse for drives to put him to sleep every single night. And I was driving around and started at 40 minutes, yeah, 30, 20. And then we got down to about 10 and under and I was like, oh, I've nailed it. I've got this sleep thing down pat. Um, and yeah, I was driving him around and around and around and then he would wake. Like the sleep was always even worse broken when I do that, but I had to get him to sleep. I was trying to get him to sleep earliest because I was trying to resettle these other kids. And that was setting me in a, you know, a world of anxiety. And then you were like, you've got to stop doing the car thing, cut the car. Like you've got to do the sleep. Yeah from put him down in his cot he has to go down in his cot and that was tough because I was like what do you mean yeah so absolutely it's going to be um hard but as you know it gets easier and easier and easier and because you're consistent with it yeah consistency is a big one um now I know that you're quite big on environmental factors contributing mm. to a baby's sleep so can you talk a little bit about this yeah, sure. So um, as we spoke about without injuring our consult, the dark room is really important, um, especially for early rising um, and, and daytime naps. So obviously at the moment, daylight savings here in New South Wales, bedtime as well. It's so light outside and it's getting lighter too. Um, but the sleep hormone melatonin is produced far more readily in the dark so if we have a nice dark room it's going to help with that sleep product um sleep hormone production and get them into a nice deep phase of sleep during the day for naps again coming back to those sleep cycles the 40 minute sleep cycles when they have that partial wake up around 40 minutes if they do sort of stir and there's light coming in it could encourage them to completely wake up so mm. it helps both ways there and obviously early rising to blocking out that light um another important thing um which I like to use with 
younger babies um, is white noise. Again, back to the sleep cycles, if they're falling asleep hearing that sound, when they have that partial wake up, they're going to recognise it and, okay, that's going to help them drift back into another sleep cycle. It'll act as a buffer for those outside noises like dogs, siblings, phones, things like that. Um, But it's just that consistent sound that they, you know, it helps prompt them to know, oh, that's the sound that I hear when I go to bed and helps them. So they're my... obsessed with the white noise now. Oh, yeah, and it's great. Like, and it's, it is one of those things and they're, they're not, it's not going to be something they're going to be really reliant on to go to sleep. And if you do find yourself in that position where um, you do find your child needs it to go to sleep, you can just gradually turn the volume down. It's not, it's not something that's going to have a long impact on their sleep. Um, and I, I think obviously depending on the child's age, but sleeping bag or swaddle are always, you know, a really nice thing. Again, it helps to prompt them that, that's bedtime. It's just that positive association. Um, it helps to keep them warm too. So, so what's the best age to convert to a sleeping bag? Um, obviously, depending on most most of the, if you're going from oh there she's hello um if you're going from Virgo <laughs> or something like that that have the sleeping bag down the bottom, um, they might have the arms in. So that's a swaddle, but you can, they've still got the sleeping bag component. So it's more about transitioning the arms out because the bottom's always like a sleeping bag. So you'll just go to arms out and um, then you can actually, as they get older, maybe like Jesse's age, you might go to a slip suit. So it's got the legs, but it's still keeping them warm because they don't keep their blankets on. Mm. Okay. That's super interesting. And with the white noise, I, I know a lot of people in our lives that have come over and we've put Jessie down at our 6.30 or whatever bedtime it is and um, everyone's like, why so loud? Why Why does it need to be so loud? And, it's, and like, it works with that noise. Can you share a little bit about why it has to be as loud as a shower as you've told me it did? Yeah, so when they're obviously, so inside the womb, it's around 90 decibels, which is about the level of a lawnmower. So it's out. Wow. Loud, so loud and it's just it's that blood rushing through the placenta it is so loud um and then so silence is so irritating to a baby because they've come from such a loud environment and we you know we naturally people come over and we're like shh the baby's sleeping but you could put the hairdryer on you can be out and about and they'll sleep amazingly and that's because they like that noise so um so usually around that level of a running shower is about 60, 50, 60 decibels, which is considered um, safe for our for our ears. So um, again, as they get older, like Jesse, it's that buffer. So if you've got it on really, really quietly, that's not going to act as a buffer. But if we have it around that level, because they make noises in their sleep as well, so they'll wake themselves up with their own noises. So if we have it around that level, they're not going to get you know, stimulated and woken up by any external noises and it's just going to help keep them in that nice deep phase of sleep. Yeah, and it's super interesting because like on environmental factors because we recently bought a cabin up at um, uh, Anna Bay, which is not too far, yeah. over at One Mile Beach and um, I probably shouldn't say that but that doesn't matter. <laughs> but, yeah, we recently bought a cabin up there and Jesse obviously doesn't have a cot in a dark room and you know, all those things, but I take his suit and I take, and he only has his dummy for bed. Um, and yep. I take the iPad for his white noise and we literally just put him in the double bedroom, shut the door and mm-hmm. put on the white noise. And he just lays down and goes to sleep. Like, and it's like in his day sleep, it's not even dark. He just knows yeah. what to do. 
I know, and that's it. Like, usually their little eyes will roll back when they start hearing it or you pull out their sleeping bag and it's great, but it, they just reckon that's, that's that positive sleep association. They recognise that sound and that's why that consistency is so important. Yeah. It. They just know. 100%. I know that so many people um, give us a little bit of a tut when we say, you know, that we're co-sleeping currently with Lola. What, what's your thoughts on co-sleeping and how does that impact a child's sleep? So... Um, as you know, from our consult, I do have to work within the safe sleep guidelines. So um, I, I, not that I don't believe in co-sleeping, it's just that I, for insurance purposes, I do have to work under those recommendations. Um, so I think in terms of co-sleeping, if it's working for you, then that is amazing and it's beautiful. Um, I do see a lot of people come to me later on wanting to transition from co-sleeping to their own bed and that's where people can find it hard because naturally if that's all your child's done that's all they're going to know so I think with co-sleeping I would probably try to get them used to their own cot in the day for their naps so get them used to napping in their cot of the day um, and then if you're choosing to co-sleep overnight then at least they still have you know, they're still used to their cot and their room, um, but then they're still having that co-sleeping. So that's probably what I would recommend doing. Um, again, if it works for you and you wanted to continue doing it long-term, absolutely no problem with that. Um, but, yeah, just if you are wanting to eventually transition her to her own cot, that's probably how I would recommend doing it. And what do you think about the term don't wake a sleeping baby? Is this an old wives' tale or is this a big no-no? So I think you have to wake a sleeping baby. If like if your baby is napping, right, for say just for instance, a newborn, they usually feed every three hours of a day roughly. Yep. If you're letting them sleep for four hours and then they have they've missed that feed and then they wake up and then they sleep for two hours, you've sort of essentially you've lost and then you feed again, you've lost a feed in between. So whatever they're not getting in the day, they're going to make up for overnight. And the same with sleep. Um, yes, to an extent, sleep does encourage sleep. But if there's no drive to sleep there because they've filled up their sleep tank during the day, they're not going to sleep overnight. Um, so I would, you know, yes, it's okay to let them have a little bit more here and there. But I would just be mindful that we don't want them to have too much especially then it's going to have a domino effect on the next nap. So they're not going to want to nap too long at the next nap and then puts their bedtime out. So it's just that knock-on effect that you have to, to watch out for. But, yeah, I would like feeding to sleep and dummies, like, you know, to, to go to sleep. Obviously, Jesse, yeah. I've just mentioned before that he has his dummy to go to sleep. But for Lola, that's four months. We're transitioning from her being on the boob at nighttime to a dummy straight away and she'll just go off to sleep. Yeah, the dangers of this, I suppose, um, in terms of habits and things. Um, I think a lot of people are really worried by dummies, and they, they do get a bad rap. A dummy for a newborn is so soothing. That's that non-nutritive dummy suck is so calming, and does switch on that that calming reflex for them. But um, there, you know, and again, a dummy works really, really well, and it's, it is that positive sleep association. If they can manage it themselves, you will. If it is something you're going to hang on to long term, you'll definitely go through that little, that tricky phase, say between four or five months through till around seven, seven, eight months, where they can't manage it themselves. So you are doing that sort of dummy, pop it in, pop it out for them. But 
once they reach seven, seven and a half months, you can teach them how to manage it themselves and it's not a problem in the world. Um, and if clients come to me and their baby is, you know, eight or nine months with a dummy, I would say, hey, look, let's just work on teaching them to find and replace it themselves because it's probably a really strong association by that point um, and get rid of it when they're, you know, two, two and a half and they understand that concept because otherwise it can be a pretty tra- traumatic experience for, you know, bub and mum trying to take it off a baby that age. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just digressing a little bit into like day naps and things. Yeah. How can you? How can we notice our baby signals telling us that they don't, that they're, you know, going to drop a nap soon? Is there any, are there any cues that come up? So the first nap to go, I guess, you know, is that third nap, which is around anywhere between, look, the earliest I'd recommend dropping is about probably six and a half months. Anywhere between six and a half through to eight months at the latest is when we would drop that nap. Um, what you'll notice is, well, the third nap is two. It's one that I always recommend just assisting them with regardless. If you've got a self-settler, I would still recommend trying to get them in the pouch or the pram um, and get out and have that one because it is what's considered a force nap. So it's always a hard one to get in. Um, they do fight that one a little bit more. So even if you've been assisting and you're trying and trying and trying and they're not having it, well, there's only so much you can do. They're not going to have it. So if it's around that six and a half to eight months and they're, they're doing, they're fighting it, then that's usually a sign or they're having it even, um, you know, having just 10, 15 minutes and they're still fighting bedtime, then that's a sign to drop it. Um, the other sign could be that they're waking for like frag, they're having fragmented night sleep. So they could be waking for periods overnight and you're having difficulty getting them back to sleep. Mm, I know with Jesse being that bit older, so he's now 22 months, um, almost yeah. two, and his day sleep does vary sometimes. So sometimes it's yeah. one and a half hours, which was what you recommended back when we worked together, I think, oh gosh, maybe five months ago now. Yeah. Um, and he was successful at that for quite some time, but now it does change. Sometimes it can be 90 minutes. It can be two and a half hours. It can be an hour. Sometimes it's 45 yeah. minutes. Um, when do we know that he's, when do we know they're going to drop their day sleep altogether? Is there a cue coming there? Yeah, so the, dropping that nap altogether is usually around anywhere from about two and a half to three. You'll see that they will, start, they will, they'll just start to fight it. And it could be, you know, you just pop Jesse in his room and he'll just lay there and talk and, you know, play with his comforter or, you know, just lay and roll around and talk. And, you know, it gets to an hour and a half and you're like, okay, nap aborted. He's not going to sleep. So you'll notice those things happen. And it might be, a, it might be the case that every second day he'll have a nap um, or um, even if it's just a nap while he just like falls asleep on the lounge for half an hour or something, but he will, you know, and then eventually that'll just phase out and he won't have one altogether. When they do drop it though, I still think it's important to have that that quiet time, even if it's just a movie on or, um, you know, watching, yeah, watching a little bit of TV on the lounge or something just to help them just, you know, stop and pause for a little bit. So I think that quiet time is still important. Yeah, I'm definitely not looking forward to the day sleep <laughs> together. I think no ones enjoy that. <laughs> that is a bad time for everyone. Um, look, I do want to wrap this up shortly, but I've just got one question for you on the per- on a personal front that I want to ask. I'd love to know, a bit of a confessional, what is something that you really prioritised with your first that you definitely didn't prioritise with your second or third or were like look back and thought, oh, what was I even worried about? Why did I even do that? Or why did I spend that money? What were some things that happened for you there? Uh, yeah. Um, 
gosh. I, I just remember, um, like, I think one of the big things is, um, you know, like we were just talking about, oh, dummies, like don't have a dummy. And all the midwives in the hospital, like, remember them coming in and saying, why has she got a dummy? What, you know, why has she got a dummy? And what are you doing? They should be sucking on, on you, not on the dummy. And that was always a big thing that was drilled home to me. And, you know, oh, and you've, you've got to, um, yeah, don't don't let your baby get used to sleeping in their cot. They've got to be able to sleep out and about too. There was a lot of that and I, I always stressed about it and put so much anxiety on me that I was, you know, I had to do all these things or my child wouldn't be able to ever come out with me, you know, and, um, yeah, I just always second-guessed myself. So I think I wouldn't, one thing I, I yeah, I really struggled with a different midwife telling me a different thing mm-hmm. and at the end, I just sort of nodded in the green. I was like, you know what? I know my baby better than anyone else. I'm just going to let this one go and I'll deal with it when I get home. I'll hide the dummy and deal with that when I get home. Um, And, yeah, and just, I don't know, I think sometimes we just get so consumed um, about what everyone else tells us and think that thinks that, you know, we're not doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, we're doing what we think's right and what's working for us. So that's the main thing. Uh, 100% working for you then it's it's working and it's keeping that family unit happy so that's the main thing yeah like um with co-sleeping plus right now um just posted something on instagram this morning about and how much i'm enjoying it and even breastfeeding i'm enjoying this time the first time with jesse i found it a huge inconvenience and this time i'm just soaking it up and absolutely love it um sleeping as well i do too that's actually that is one thing i think i put like everyone was that was actually that's probably answers your question. A lot remember a lot of people telling me, don't get your baby used to just breastfeeding. You want to offer them formula. So I remember saying to Mitch on the way home, like, stop on the way home from hospital, stop. We've got to get formula because she can't just be used to breast milk or she'll um she'll never want to take a bottle. And so I remember doing that and I was so like consumed by the fact that I should be trying to encourage her to mix feed or she would never, I'd never be able to leave because she would only take me. And um and then, hang on, come Minka and Hattie fed them well over one only with breast milk because it was so much easier than getting up in the middle of the night and sterilising a bottle and I didn't have time for that, and, you know, not one bit of formula, but it wasn't because I didn't believe in formula feeding. It was just that it was so much easier. 100%. And I, like, I was actually, the, I had the opposite experience in hospital. They were all, everyone kept saying to me, you know, breast is best, and I just remember that term being said. And I had a lot of older women in my life um, telling me the same thing before I had Jessie. So formula to me, when I just made the decision at eight weeks postpartum, I was like, I just, I'm not enjoying this. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm changing to formula. I remember I was just so resistant to it because I was so frightened that like everyone's told me not to what, you know, how will it hurt my baby? There's a reason why they've all said this, but it didn't hurt him. He was totally fine. In fact, he slept better. <laughs> um, and she sleeps great, but she's actually mixed fed. So we do a bottle every night, like most nights, because I yep. find that um, I my milk's not as strong of a nighttime. And that means I can go and put Jessie down and there's not a lot of pressure and pulling on me. Um, yep. And I love it. And I feel like yeah. everyone should be encouraged to mix feed, breastfeed, bottle feed, whatever you want. Like, yeah, and whatever makes your life easier and whatever makes your baby happy. Yes, your life, you as the mum happier, you know, your husband's going to be happier, your whole family's happier. Exactly. So. And, like, I just think with your work, 
you literally changed our family. Like I'm pretty sure that we were, we might have been divorced by now had you not come along. So we appreciate you and your program so much. Um, and for anyone listening, look, you, if you're hes- thinking about, you know, your child's sleep right now, I just think even if like Lola, she's a great sleeper, I'm getting you anyway in a couple of weeks. Like I've already decided it's already happening. So I just know that I want to. It's a bad rap, but it's not traumatic, is it? Like it's honestly not. No, not at all. And the only other thing actually we should talk about just quickly before you go is um, space soothing because this is something that I was resistant to. And for anyone listening that has your programs and has read space soothing, um, I'll let you give us a rundown on what that is. But I was (laughs) resistant to it. And Jesse literally cried when I put the timer on. The longest he cried for was two minutes and 32 seconds. Yeah. And he... And we started, remember, we started with 100% in the room. Like you were saying before, we were patting the mattress. We were sitting with him, not leaving his side. And in the end, I don't know, I knew that you wanted to be there. But in the end, I had to say, look, Chris, he's so stimulated by you. We've got to get you out of there. He doesn't go now. And and like he was so ready for it. He needed just that bit of space. So space soothing works for babies that um, like our sleep guide has three different options and two are completely in the room and one is in and out, which is that space soothing we're talking about. But it works so well for babies that are just so stimulated by parents constantly like trying to, you know, have their best intentions at heart, but they're intervening and they're stimulating them. So that little bit of space that they need, in Jesse's case, two minutes and 32 seconds and he was out. Like, yeah, It's small increment. It's not, you know... 15, 20 minutes, it's two or three minutes that they probably cried longer coming home from the shops in the back of the car, you know, like because they're coming something, they're not. So, but, yeah, it works really well for those those children that are stimulated and just need that little bit of space to try to wind themselves down. Yeah, unreal. Christy, for anyone that wants to connect with you, where's the best places to find you? Um, so Instagram is the sleep teacher, one word, or, um, you can email me at Christy at the sleep Amazing. I will put all of that in the show notes for everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.